Christmas and seasons. Greetings to you, Ben. Hello. And to you, Julia. And welcome to our bonus episode because we wanted to give you a treat this Christmas and here it is, an episode all about holidays during the festive season. Happy days. Yeah, and we hope this stokes your wanderlust and takes you on a wonderful journey this Christmas to somewhere special. Mm. Ben, yes. your Christmas destinations, where have you been where you've sung Merry Christmas? Do you and- know, it's funny, growing up, the idea that someone would even go out to lunch at Christmas made my, I just like, what? People, I, people do this? I know. They go to amazing? a restaurant? Yes. And then I guess, you know, obviously people now kind of do anything. I mean, people travel, they go overseas, they do all kinds of things. So um, I'm coming uh, coming across to that as a, as a concept. So you still I'm haven't to it. left the family home for Christmas? No, I look, I have, but um, it's pretty rare. And um, yeah, I prefer to stay close to home. But you know, I live up on the North Coast now of New South Wales. So Christmas Day, I would venture probably as far as the beach for a couple of hours before lunch, right. which is pretty nice. Oh, I've been a little more adventurous than yeah. you then. I've had a wonderful Christmas lunch in Rome. Oh, nice. Though not much in Rome is open on Christmas Day um, because I guess they're doing exactly what you're saying, having family Christmases at home. Mm -hmm. But it was pretty amazing in the piazza there at the Pantheon and then it became more celebratory as the day went on. So it was extraordinary and wonderful. Wow. Um, And that was after going to Midnight Mass the night before Mm -hmm. in one of the most extraordinary churches, St Ignatius in Rome. Mm Mm-hmm with lots of incredible choirs um, and and celebrations. It was wonderful. Wow. So Rome was a good one. Uh, New York, mm-hmm. pretty amazing as well. For Christmas Day? Yes, freezing cold. Yeah. Um, but uh, lovely to walk around, a little bit closed as well. Uh, but you, have you been to New York at Christmas time? Not at Christmas, but I've been there in winter as things oh. are beginning a little bit festive. Yeah. The lights, mm. the Christmas lights in New York mm-hmm. are Something to see. I, I think Disneyland moves from um, its sites across the world right into New York for Christmas. The lights are, are beautiful. Right. Yeah. So, again, Christmas Day as it turned into Christmas night mm. was uh, amazing and Christmas Eve was just as beautiful. Mm. Innsbruck. Wow. Another one. Now you can imagine what Innsbruck was like for yeah. Christmas yeah. in the snow. Again, lots of lights, lots of Christmas markets. Um, lots of celebration in Innsbruck, a beautiful, absolutely traditional Christmas for me right wow. in the heart of of Europe. Um, and then uh, other than that, uh, this year um, at the Italian Club, the Venator Club in Melbourne with a whole lot of Paisani. Oh, beautiful. People from my area in Italy. Wow. Yes, yes. Now that's a long way away from home from you. It is. Yes. I have had a couple of Christmases overseas. Actually, yep. they were both in the US. Yes. Um one of them was uh, woke up on Christmas morning in the snow in a very nondescript motel in I think Arizona, and in my, the snow. Yes, of course in Arizona. Of yeah, course it yeah. Snows, we had yes. we had some snow yes. there, and uh, yeah, had a Christmas lunch of turkey sandwiches at the nearest gas station. It was not glamorous, but a great deal of fun. I was with a couple of mates, so that was that was uh, a Christmas that I was not used to. Um, but but lots of fun, and then I had another one in California with a friend oh, so of mine. You had had Christmas, yeah, away just from two. Mine, now that I yeah. think about it, yeah. Um, look, an African American mate of mine, and um, had Christmas with his family, and that was pretty kind of raucous and rowdy, and there was lots of grits and chitlins yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of this of, of Kwanzaa. Have you heard of Kwanzaa? No. So gosh, I hope I get this all right. It's it's kind of like an African American Christmas tradition. So they, if, you know, it's it's their own version of that kind of. Um, it's an amalgamation of a bunch of traditions from Africa yeah. that the Americans have kind of turned into their own Christmas tradition. I think technically it starts on Boxing Day and maybe runs through to the twenty eighth or something like that. Yeah, through to through to the New Year. So yeah, it was this kind of hybrid Christmas Kwanzaa celebration, and it was fan- absolutely fantastic. It was brilliant. There you go. Mm. Well, and in Australia, uh, as I said, mostly at home. So. Um, but the last few years at home, glazing a beautiful, beautiful bangalow ham, so yes. a local local ham. It's usually my responsibility is to look after that. And um, something this year I'd love to do is throw to My grandma used to make a trifle, ah, so I'd love to throw together a quite a potent trifle. Do, you've I got can. to do that. Yeah. Um, I can remember Christmas at Noosa uh, one year and we arrived at 4 a.m. in the morning because we'd driven from Sydney and my son was small and um, his stepbrother was with him who left and then came back and um, I was trying to get him to sleep and I had to say, oh, 
Santa's arrived mm. because someone was walking in because I said Santa would find us. Mm-hmm. And I had to get his brother-in-law to stay out of sight. But <laughs> he actually thought that he'd heard Santa oh, wow. come Christmas morning. To this day, he's not quite sure it wasn't Santa, even mm. though he's nearly 30. But um, <laughs> it was <laughs> it was, Lovely. it was wonderful. You talk about your glazed ham. I'm going to give people a Christmas cooking tip. Great. When I um, made a plum pudding, beautiful plum pudding that I'd made, um, ready to sauce it, put all my caramel sauce over the top, and I dropped it on the kitchen floor, Ben. Uh-huh. So I had to pick uh, it up. What did you do this time? Oh, I had to pick it up and it might have had a little bit of dog's hair and other stuff on it. So, no worse than no, the chicken. No, you know what? In, can I tell you something? The, the good sign. tip, the really big tip if you do something like that, yeah. flambe your pudding. Oh, it of course. It burns everything off. Yeah. And then I put the caramel sauce over the top. didn't have that smell around No, I did not. <laughs> I did not. Mm. Everyone loves it. It all went, Ben. Oh, I'm yes, not surprised. Yes, flambe Amazing Christmas Amazing, got some pudding. fire. Yes, of, yes. Yeah. Hey, when but, you were in New York for Christmas, yes, were you aware of, and a, a New York friend of mine tells me about this, that Christmas, and he's um, he married into a Jewish family, and yes. Christmas Day the Jewish community all go and have Chinese lunch? They go to Chinese restaurants? Or? I wasn't aware of that, to be perfectly yeah. honest. Maybe because I didn't go out. We yeah. had it in, a, in the apartment we were staying in. But the, but I do know that when you are in New York at Christmas time, you're wished you're wished Merry Christmas, as well as Happy Holidays, Happy oh, Hanukkah. Hanukkah. That's the other one. Yeah. Thank you. You're wished Merry Christmas as and well Happy as Happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Yeah. Um, because both celebrations um, happen roughly at the same time. And that, of course, explains why they say Happy Holidays over there on all yes. their television and programming and wrapping paper and all that kind but of stuff. But you know what? I have to tell you, there was something lovely about it, a double celebration. Yeah. Uh, like that, and everybody conjoining for both. It was a really, really special thing. Yeah. Well, they're yes. all out having Chinese on Christmas Day. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. That's not yeah. a bad thought. Have you had any uh, exceptional New Year's Eves? Have you been anywhere interesting for New uh, Year's? Possibly. Yeah. Yes. yeah. You know, you've gone storm. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, lovely New Year's Eves. I'm just trying yeah. to think of that, Ben, where they've been. Um, oh, uh uh, I, nothing better, absolutely nothing beats anywhere in the world Sydney's mm-hmm. fireworks. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Doesn't matter. Year after year after year, mm. they are truly beautiful mm. and they do get better, but um, just a bit, just a bit every so often. Yeah. But I will go from wherever I am to get to those fireworks to see them each year. What about you? Probably my most memorable one was in Mexico, actually. Yeah. Ended up in a, a town called San Cristobal de las Casas, yes. which is quite an important city in that part of Mexico. It's where the the Zapatista movement was kind of founded. So yes. it's there's a, there's a lot wow. going on there. And there's it's a in a beautiful, beautiful part of the country and surrounded by mountains and lovely colonial sk- uh, city with a beautiful main square. And, um, yeah, we had a pretty rowdy night in a bar. There. I'm pretty sure there were indoor fireworks that night. Sure. I'm yeah, just wondering how you remember. A few crackers going yeah. off inside, yeah. <laughs> Wild, yeah, brilliant though. Really, really fun. So these days, what do you do on New Year's Eve, Ben? New Year's Eve, um well, we would uh, probably down at the beach again and yes. then home to watch the 9.30 crackers on yes, telly. Yes, that's because you're getting older. Is that right? Probably. Well, yes. No, that's more for the children, Julia. We've got oh, children sorry, yes. There. A couple of years ago I, I ran a, um, drive, a pop-up drive-in cinema in Bangalore and we attempted to stream the – we interrupted the movie right when the 9.30 fireworks were on to try and live stream the, the crackers. Unfortunately, we didn't get the the visuals. We only had the audio, which wasn't quite the same. same. It was just a whole – so we quickly jumped back to Greece. We put the movie back on. Um, I do – which reminds me, sorry, I do remember one fireworks in Venice, in one New Year's Eve in Venice, and they had about three Catherine wheels <laughs> and that was it. Mm-hmm. That was their fireworks and we thought these Italians know nothing. Yeah. Hey, what's on the centre of your Christmas table? What's the centrepiece, the, the most important thing that gets brought in with great fanfare on Christmas Day? Um, I usually do a whopping bunch of flowers because I do whopping bunches of flowers a lot. Um, and to nice eat. to eat? Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, to eat. So yeah. food you're talking about? Yeah. Because um, yeah. I make it as decorative as I possibly I can. can. Imagine, yeah. Um, I can glaze a ham yeah? pretty well, yes, do that. I and, love glazing a ham. Oh, a glazed oh, yeah. ham that's warm yeah. and, um, is, and it's, orange, it's um, orange marmalade, brown sugar, a mm-hmm. little bit of sherry, I'm just tr- and um, 
pretty much that's it. And just trying to think maybe some salt. Maybe we can get and you I, to jot that recipe down in the I show can, notes for, I, the, uh, for our listeners. I do make things up as I go along so do I. a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it's hard to do. It's slightly yeah, as different. As long as it's every, sweet and sticky and yes. yum. Yes. I've, I've let go the the puddings now uh-huh. and do what you think is a pretty damn good trifle. Yeah, good. Yeah, And a, and a pavlova bit. And a pavlova. You've got to do that. Okay. And great All right. vegetables. All right. Yes. Yeah. We usually have a pretty uh, handsome Christmas pudding that yep. my my aunt, who you know, is a very good yes. um, cook. And she you throws, must say that your aunt is a cordon bleu cook. Cordon bleu cook. She throws yep. together an absolutely delicious um, Christmas pudding. Yes. Mm. Um, in your wildest dreams, if you had to choose a place to have Christmas and a place for New Year's Eve, where would they be? Uh, so same place for both? No. Oh, okay. Well, I think... Maybe um, I'm thinking White Christmas, so it could be anywhere yes. in Northern Hemisphere. I think New York would be pretty exciting because I could go and have Chinese for lunch. You that could, would, that you would, could that indeed make me very, very happy. Yep. Um, New Year's maybe Paris somewhere like oh, that. Oh, mm. very nice. Mm. Um, I think yes, a European Christmas is not a bad thing. Um, maybe mm, Christmas but, markets somewhere. Yes, amazing. Like any any mm. of those places like Cologne, like somewhere in Switzerland. Um, uh, would be amazing for Christmas. And I think America for uh, New Year's Eve, anywhere, mm. Times Square would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Too yeah. many people. But if you could watch it. I think if you can find a rooftop somewhere nearby, say, cocktail bar, open fire, yes. happy days. Wouldn't that be extraordinary? Yeah. Some very luxurious hotel in mm. New York would be great. If you're listening, luxurious hotels in New York. Yes. Yeah, we're available. We are. <laughs> um, we should probably talk to an expert, I'd say, on what's trending Christmas-wise, destinations, that kind of thing. Can I say the very perfect person to do that with mm-hmm. is the CEO of Collet, okay. Dan Sullivan, and he's going to be telling us where we should go for Christmas and what next year's best travel trends are Great, uh, and the places to be visiting to have the time of your life. Well, let's get the good oil from Dan. And along with the travel trends, Ben, mm-hmm. we're going to be having another guest who will be talking to us about the most sublime, delightful, enchanting Christmas markets across Europe. I think you might be able to give our expert a run for their money, Julia. You know a thing or two about Christmas markets. I do, I do, Ben. And I will be chatting away um, as best I can and going through all the memories and you remember what they were. (laughs) We'll look forward to it. Meanwhile, Merry Christmas. And to you too, Julia. And Ben, to our listeners. Yes, happy Christmas, everyone. A white Christmas, something every Aussie dreams of at least once or twice during our sweltering summits. And as a very special treat, we're going to talk to Maria Sykes from Visit Britain about all the fabulous things you can do over Christmas in the UK. We may not be there this year, but we can imagine and imagine we will along with Maria. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Julia. Pleasure to be here. Now, a white Christmas in the UK completely different from the Aussie experience. Can you give us sort of an overview of what it's like? I think to attempt to describe London at Christmas will inevitably make me sound like I'm exaggerating. You know, I started to go back to London at Christmas about five or six years ago, and it blew me away. It is really like being on a movie set. It is a fairy tale of epic proportions with just an electric atmosphere that I really, you struggle to put into words. It is like being on a movie set. So paint a picture for us. Yeah. So I, the, when I went back five or six years ago, I was fortunate enough to arrive in the middle of a white Christmas and London under snow is beautiful beyond compare. It's How often s- does that happen, just asking you? Uh, not every year. You have to be yeah. a bit lucky. It's every six or seven years actually. Right. But much more frequently than that you get a frost, which in a way is better because it makes the cobwebs icicle and snowflake-like oh. <laughs> yes. without the risk of sliding on your bottom. So frost can be equally beautiful, actually. You've got far greater odds of seeing that. But everyone knows about Regent Street and the spectacular lights, and that is epically beautiful. But it's the detail. It's the uh, tweed-clad mice on sleighs woven around railings of old mansion blocks. It's the fairy tales wrapped in neon lights around jumbo Christmas trees. Um, It's the roasting chestnuts on the street. It is really, truly like being on a movie set. You know, those Christmas, wonderful Christmas movies we all get a bit nostalgic about. Uh, It is like that. And when I landed 
um, it took my breath away. I've left, I left the UK 24 years ago and I'd fallen prey to the belief that New York owned Christmas. And then I ah, arrived in London and I realised... Because battle you on that one. Well, I realise now I'm wrong. London has left them for dead. London <laughs> owns Christmas. So if London owns Christmas, one of the most spectacular things about Christmas, particularly in Europe, um, is the Christmas markets. Yeah. What are they like there? Wonderful. Eclectic and diverse and old and new. Crafts, design. The diversity is what makes them special, I think, because no matter what you're looking for as a shopper, it is there. And they are all over London. And some of the smaller ones are equally exciting. The one, the tip I would give, though, if I'm sharing secrets, is that the biggest Christmas market on earth is actually in Manchester. Ooh. Sorry, London, but Manchester Christmas markets are huge. And in terms of diversity, you would find whatever your heart desired at those Manchester Christmas markets. So then if we wanted to go up to the Christmas markets, how long is a train trip from London to Manchester? And would you just... would? Would you do it justice if you stayed overnight and then went back to London the next morning? I think you would, you see, because Aussies are distance proof, right? Yes. So, so the, the average Brit would balk at that. The Aussies, no problem, I think. If I were recommending a north of England itinerary, I would get the train from London to Manchester four-ish hours, four to five hours. Yes. But then in two hours, you can be in the Lake District. So you've got the astonishing shopping of Manchester because... You don't have to go to London to find Selfridges. There's a Selfridges in Manchester. There's a Harvey Nichols. There are some really beautiful shopping in Manchester. They're the glorious markets. And then you can hop on a train and in two hours be in the Lake District and enjoying spectacular Christmas lunch overlooking Lake Windermere. Oh. So you could pack in a really beautiful one or two day itinerary in the north of England after a stay in London. No problem. Well, that, that sounds absolutely amazing, and yeah. yes, yeah. Other in replacement of yet another walk around Hyde Park to Buckingham Palace, I would think exactly. So, if you are staying in London, what would you advise the travellers there to do? If you've got a month, you might scratch the surface. So, I'm I'm going to give you my favourites, and then I think maybe a couple of secrets that most people wouldn't have heard of. Uh, I hesitate to share my secrets because they're, um, I'd kind of like them to remain secrets. But um, the no. Beaufort Bar in the Savoy, I think, is the most glamorous, sultry, movie set-like bar on the planet. The Beaufort Bar in the, the Savoy. The Beaufort Bar in the Savoy where you're this. waiting for Humphrey Bogart to walk in or Churchill or Monroe. Uh, oozing history, black, gold, stunning, and the menu is full of the most memorable cocktails you'll ever imagine. Um, but London, thank you for that. That's a, yeah. that's a wonderful tip. <laughs> that you you have to um, be there early, um, but don't miss the Beaufort Bar. Is Lon early eleven o'clock in the morning? Is that what time you start with your cocktails? Well, I, I think or I'd nine. have to I'd have to give you a daily itinerary to right. do the cocktail right. hopping. <laughs> Um, and London's having a real rooftop moment. So it might sound a little surprising to have a winter roof terrace, but London is outdoing itself in the rooftop terrace department at the moment. So I'd say three favourites that you'd have to fit in. You've got the uh, the Madison, which overlooks St Paul's, where they have created a winter wonderland wood that you walk through on the top overlooking St Paul's. How splendid does all this sound? Wonderful. Yes. You've got um, the skylight where you've got um, you've got a beautiful ice rink where you can skate and look on, feel like you're on top of the world. On, on the, the top, rooftop. On the rooftop of the skylight. Uh, not a bad spot for New Year's Eve, might I suggest. And the aviary, oh my goodness, there are um, you can eat in your own little private lodge up there. You've got fairy lights guiding you through a wonderland and glass igloos where you can sit there with your wonderful mulled wine um, or a wonderful campfire hot chocolate with a little bit of Talisker's goodness in it. So these rooftops are really having a bit of a moment, you know, and they're really quite magical. So shopping? Shopping. Is that even? Yes. Oh. What? Yes, I'm off you go. so <laughs> glad you are. So shopping, topic dear to my heart. Well, I'll tell you what I did last Christmas in um, London. 
I popped into Selfridges for some present buying and yes. I ended up dancing with a rather dusty, glorious old 500-year-old looking Santa with his elves. And we literally danced around the floors of Selfridges singing songs together. Are you one of the very few people on the planet who has happened to dance with Santa? I think I might be, Julia, actually. And who knew that he lived in Selfridges? No, oh, we, we sort of had a little bit of a guess, <laughs> but and he does travel far from Selfridges, doesn't he? He's very clever. But continue with your dance, much more interesting. Selfridges is does Christmas really, really beautifully. So I would say even if you don't fancy shopping, just go to experience Santa and the music and the choirs. So they really turn it on and create some magic for kids and adults alike. So Selfridges is wonderful. If you're taking the Littleys, Hamleys is a must, right? You know, four or five floors of Toyland heaven. I took my great nephew and niece there last Christmas and they really just had eyes like saucers and we couldn't get them out for four long hours. But it is rather special, so you can't blame them. Um, so Hamleys on Regent Street has got to be one of the most magical toy shops on the planet. Um, and if you're really doing the you know, the traditional Christmas in London, then Oxford Street, Bond Street, Regent Street has the world's best and it is crazy, electric, wonderful, sparkly and has all the shopping your heart could desire. So I'm going to move on from because it's it's a little distressing to sit here and listen to you <laughs> and think that we're not going to be in London for Christmas. Um, move on to an even or an equally as beautiful subject, not even better, equally as beautiful subject, the food and wine oh. at Christmas time. Start with the food, then move on to the wonderful mulled wines and warm drinks that you can yeah. have. Yeah. Um, well, Christmas is Christmas Day lunch for Brits is an obsession. It's the official and most um, anticipated feast of the year and it's never sufficient to feed one. There is always ample for about four or five people on your plate. Uh, and there are, you will just be spoiled for choice. So it depends really uh, on what dining experience you want. There are a couple of really special places going on around the Christmas lunch in London at the moment. So the Duck and Waffle, which is out in the city, Bishopsgate, have created a sparkling winter wonderland complete with snow, which not done beautifully would be tacky, but this is quite beautiful and their food is really top-notch. So that would be a really hot tip, I would think. I would say book early. Um, the Rosewood Hotel has a couple of beauties. It's a five-star hotel in Hoban and they have done the full traditional roasted turkey, eggnog, wonderful Christmas pudding, English cheese board <laughs> uh, so and good. the full catastrophe. And then, as you would expect in London, there are all the myriad endless quirky options. You know, a lot of people say, you know, lots of curries were invented in England, actually. Chicken tikka masala, it's a British invention. So you could go a little bit off piste, you know, and have quite a quirky Christmas and have a curry feast in Brick Lane. Um, there are lots of options. But, you know, if I'm thinking beyond London, Julia, one of the most memorable spots in Britain for Christmas lunch is Prestonfield Hotel in Edinburgh, which has to be one of the most opulent destinations, certainly in Scotland, if not Europe. And they turn it on and create a magical Christmas beyond compare, really. And so I so think So are we heading point, up to Edinburgh from Manchester well, before we come back down to the Lakes District, before we come back down to London, before we come back home? I think that's right. Yes. I think that's probably right. The beauty of Britain for Australians is its very digestible size. So, you know, a couple yes. of hours... Size of Victoria. Yes. Nothing. Well, you can lap the whole thing quite comfortably for your average tough Aussie. And out of London, I would personally suggest that you'd hire a car and then do Oxford, the Cotswolds, Stratford-upon-Avon, Shakespeare's birth, and you are ticking, and bath, by the way, geothermal baths in at Christmas. What a wonderful thing to do. You know, it's freezing outside. Maria, stop it. Stay on, on, on pissed here. Keep us going up north because you're <laughs> going to take us through. We have to go at the beginning of December. 
keep going up north. Edinburgh <laughs> is a really magical place and you're far more likely to have your snow up in Edinburgh, by the way, if you want that fully white Christmas than you are in London. The Preston Field is really spectacular. The Balmoral is another one in Edinburgh. Oh, my goodness. So they've been serving Christmas lunch for I think it's 117 <sighs> years. And they have the, I think it's the Prince of Wales Christmas pudding with a little bit of whiskey sauce and that really traditional Scottish hearty Christmas fare. So Edinburgh is a really, is a city that's come of age, utterly beautiful, rich in culture and spectacular, a really spectacular city. So whilst we're, we're whilst we're doing all this, what are we drinking? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Um, so cocktail, I, I've got a little penchant for a cocktail and there are the most wild and zany and beautiful cocktail bars. I'm going to come back to London now, if I may, just yes. because I think it's the cocktail capital of the world. And I'm you going to... the Americans to... love you, Maria. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, look, I'm sorry, America. You know, you, you do some lovely things. But, but catch um, up. Catch up with London, really, you know. <laughs> um, I'm going to give you my insider tips here. Please don't let them be packed out next time I go. The Blind Pig in Soho, crazy stuff. Like There is just nothing those guys won't put in a cocktail. So prohibition chic is, right. is the vibe, but... The, the blind pig in Soho with like cubes of frozen jelly in multiple colours and um, little jellied creatures oozing out the top of you. Just quite spectacular stuff. Um, the other tip is TT Liquor in Shoreditch, which is in an old police station. It now makes the alcohol look like a library wall of books with a ladder going to the top and this amber coloured wooden warm environment where you just want to stay forever ever. Um, and my we've talked about the Beaufort bar because I got overexcited and shared my favourite first off. Dukes is the classic. Dukes invented the martini. So if you've never really had a martini until you've had it served off that silver trolley in Dukes. So it's sort of a must. Um, and a myriad, you could have a month and not scratch the surface of London's cocktail bars. You can go and have it back up at the aviary, remember? Why not do the cocktails on the in an igloo at the top there of you the go. aviary? And, and I imagine that every single pub is doing something fabulous too. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's the thing. London and the whole of Britain has some just wonderful pubs. While we were doing that northern tour, you remember our little sojourn yes. up north, I think you would think about Paisley's overlooking Windermere. Yes. And you would have a rather wonderful lunch in their stone-clad restaurant there. But then you would also potentially in your Manchester leg think about Mrs. Sarah's Chop House because that's a very, very lovely old pub that would be just fabulous. So we're going to need, the traveller is probably going to need two to three weeks to make because does this begin at the beginning of December? Yes, um, all this goes on. Well, it goes on sometimes from November. Um, and if you are going to go early enough to be there in November, there's something really um, special that I'd have to tell your listeners not to miss. And it's Sion Park in the west of London, where they create an enchanted woodland. So if you think vivid in Sydney, yes, they do something natural of a similar scale where they light and curate as a canvas each tree through Brentwood Park. So with lasers and lights, this becomes the most surreal beauty that you'll ever experience. But that's a November event. So if you're going early, pre-Christmas to get your shopping done, then I would urge you to see Cyan Park, which is extraordinary. If you are doing the December, don't despair because Kew Gardens has the biggest light show on earth with over a million lights through the trees of Kew Garden. And I can't ever describe that in a way that would do it justice. Um, but Kew Gardens at Christmas is really quite something. Now, I'm going to take you away from all of this. Not that you probably need one, but what's your favourite Christmas recipe, if ever, Maria, you were going to not be at one of those extraordinary places mm -hmm. for Christmas Day, your favourite Christmas recipe? I, I love cooking and I've got yes. a horribly sweet tooth. So the things that I make that always get gobbled up very quickly are little miniature mouthful-sized Christmas puddings with 
dark chocolate through them and very finely chopped fresh cherries, maybe a little splash of brandy. So they're Are they wet. easy to make? They kind of are. They're messy because you roll them in your hands and they're yes. chocolatey and wet, um, but it's worth every bit well, of it. Well, that's a pretty sensuous experience in itself. I suspect <laughs> you would be licking your fingers and your hands the whole way through, would you not? Of course you would. Right. And with <laughs> a little touch of liqueur in there, how are you at the end of a, a dozen or two dozen? Very happy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Last tip for everyone at Christmas, yours, um, England's, anything I think there is, if you're traveling and you're really trying to pack it in, there is a really special tour that takes you, um, there are a couple of things. You can have a tour of London and then dine on the Thames while you're floating and taking in the best of it. That's a, Just that's something a rather extra. magical yes. thing to do. You could go to Royal Albert Hall and pack some presents with Santa and the elves. <sighs> or you could go and make your own seasonal decorations at the V&A. Maria, thank you. Um, we could stay here for another couple of days talking about this. In fact, we would go into weeks. Mm. Um, it sounds like the most incredible and beautiful part of the world. No wonder Santa lives there, you know, but he has to travel every day. He's quick, isn't he? He's, he's look, he's got some yeah. fleet of foot, doesn't yes, he? he yes, he does have some fleet of foot, but Selfridges is his home. Um, my son's going to be a little distressed to think that it's Selfridges, but <laughs> He's always been visited by Santa every year, so he should be grateful. Thank you very much. Now, where do we go? Our listeners are going to have been scribbling down as fast as they could what you've been saying. But to get all this information, where should they go? A couple of good tips. Visitbritain.com yes. has umpteen one-day itineraries that are really rich and some good tips in there and visit london.com so i would i would advise your listeners to get a wealth of information and they will find out all those places that you mentioned a great number of them the vast majority i would think yes maria merry christmas thank you enormously and i think if anybody should be santa's assistant it should be you (laughs) and i hope you take him on the odd date to one of those places that you suggested our travelers go thank you very much julia it's been a pleasure Listeners, during the festive season, we're all going on holidays or thinking about holidays. I don't know about you all, but just imagining my next great escape always excites me. And that's why we're even more excited to introduce our next guest, who is Dan Sullivan, the CEO of Colette. And Dan is going to feed our wanderlust by talking to us about 2020 travel trends and the best way to get the most out of our holiday experience. Dan, it's a very big, warm welcome to you to the show. Well, it's great being on the show, Julia. Thank you. Great pleasure. Now, there's so much to talk to you about, but first, uh, let's ask you, what's it like being the CEO of a whopping travel company? Because I'm guessing you've been to some very amazing places, Dan. Yeah, well, I've been all seven continents and uh, and all around the world with Colette, and uh, it's tremendous. You know, it's uh, exciting. You know, uh, say so you never have to work a day in your life because you know when you're when you're in travel and you're traveling, and you're meeting good people and you're meeting all the different cultures of the world and all the people of the world. Uh, you realize how small the world are and really how friendly people are. Just let's talk a little bit about the Christmas markets at the moment because. I was just going to ask you about the festive season specifically. What do you think people are choosing to do at this time of year now? I know it's a little late probably to make big travel plans, but for future Christmases, uh, what are you suggesting? And just go into the detail a little of the Christmas markets and what they actually look and feel like, Dan, and what you can eat and drink. Yeah, well, you can um, obviously the, um, when you come over to Austria – you go to Innsbruck, like I'm in Innsbruck right now, and just walking around doing the Christmas markets. It's packed with locals. You get to meet a lot of the local people, but all the different things uh, they sell, uh, all the Christmas ornaments, but really all types of gifts you can buy at Christmas time. It's just a culture here that you don't see anywhere in the world, particularly in Austria and Germany, in my mind, um, where you just see, um, you know, you you go out and you have all the local 
the local wines, uh, the, the new wine, their, uh, you know, the specialty wines at Christmas, and and of course the German, the German Austrian uh, beers, and then of course, you know, for those who want, they can actually go ski in here because the weather. It's very, very good and um, really, really, really important, you know, to go out and see all the cultures and, and, and just you're walking around, you're outdoors and uh, seeing the people and, there's, uh, and, and, you know, there's all types of shops, trinkets. And then, of course, you got the big department stores if you want to go in that. And, and I find um, this for the world pretty reasonable, you know. So what's – just – Give us a, a visual description of what you can see, and then what does it sound like? Well, when you when you walk through the streets and you take the, um, you you know, like you go Maria uh, Maria Theresa uh, Strauss and you see the golden roof, but then you walk down the little side lanes with your local guide, like we had a guy taking us this morning, and you see the fairy tale rain um, road. You know, you go down the fairy tale alleys, and you see. Um, you know, you see the Hansel and Gretel story. You see all the different, um, you know, really just cool fairy tale roads, and they give you a little description of that. So the people go down, you can visualize some of the books you've read in your childhood. They tell you really how they come to life here, like in Innsbruck, but it, certainly when you go up to Rothenburg in Germany, you find the same things, and we do that in some of our Christmas tours. You go up to the Black Forest where they have the cuckoo clocks and everything. And so many of the um, fairy tale stories and uh, come from this area of the world. They do. Of course they do. So what are you hearing? Are we, are we Christmas carols, music playing, bells ringing? What are the noises? So at 5.30 and 6.30 tonight, there, were, there was a, 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 a Christmas light show at the um, – it, right in, inside the palace here in Innsbruck, and you see this really throughout Europe. And then there was um, then there was a Christmas caroling at six thirty at another location here in Innsbruck. And then of course you walk over to the Christmas tree, the huge, huge Christmas tree that Saborski uh, puts uh, Saborski wow. puts up, and, and and you can actually stand inside. You know, you can go so big, you can go under it and actually look up. Which is kind of, you know, it's beautiful from the outside, but kind of looking at it from the inside, which you only, you don't see many places in the world. It's just fabulous. And that's just Innsbruck. I mean, Innsbruck is great, and we do four nights here in Innsbruck, but there's many different Christmas uh, uh, market tours that go to different locations throughout Austria, Switzerland, and Germany, yeah. So let me ask you another question then. If you want to get away from Christmas and not see one single bauble or hear one carol, where do you think people should go in the world? If you don't want to go to the Christmas market, no, then you, you don't want to go, go to, somewhere you, different. Yeah, you don't want to see a Christmas tree. You don't want a Christmas bauble. You don't want any glue. You just want to get away from Christmas. Where in the world would you suggest that people should go? If you were traveling in December, uh, yes, yes, really. Oh, there's a lot of places. Like if you go to, if you head down to South America and go to Patagonia and things like that, it's not the. Uh, I don't know that you could always get away from Christmas, but really, you're into warm weather and you're cruising through the, you know, um, to the Chilean fjords and things. It's spectacular with its icebergs. So it's a that's a very very different feel and a great time to go. Uh, during the November, December, January, February seasons. But particularly if you're going away November, December, this is, that's a great place to go, South America. You can go to Peru and uh, travel to Machu Picchu and see the great Inca civilization. Um, uh, I mean, those are just to mention a few. Or if you want to go north and you want to get to cold weather, um, you go ahead head up to Japan and, you know, and, and, and really see Kyoto and Tokyo and, you have less crowds at this time of the year when you go to some of your really hot destinations. You know, people love that. Yes, that sounds like an alternative too. Not, but I'm a, a Christmas market person, so I would, you know, love to be inside that Christmas tree. Now, just just with you, with all your enormous amount of travel experience, can you remember, Dan, what might be your favourite destination? Do you actually have one? Is that a hard question for you? Yeah, it is a difficult question because. Really, whenever you travel around the world, travel is the great educator. Wherever you go, 
when you meet the people in these local cultures, the people are great. And so really traveling in China or Japan or New Zealand, uh, you just love the people. You know, when you go to Fiji, love, uh, love uh, Fijians and uh, travel throughout the United States and go to Texas and New York. People are very, very different. But really, when you get to talk to locals, they're all fascinated and ask them about their culture and the stories that they have in that local community. Uh, and you find that Iceland is spectacular. And whether you go in the summer and, you know, you, where you're, um, where it's a very different feeling, you go in June, it's, you know, pretty much light, uh, 24 hours. You go in the winter where you only have about five hours of light. No matter what, when you meet the locals, you see the culture at that time of the year. So, it, you know, all those are favorites. Croatia's a favorite, you know, going to uh, meeting the Croatians and, uh, and doing the beautiful cruise uh, you know, along the aisle. They're heading up to Pisay Lakes and uh, staying overnight there. And, you know, and, and Dubrovnik's one of the great cities in the world. So it's really hard to pick. And, of course, this area of the world, Germans, Germany, Switzerland, Austria, uh, one, uh, certainly one of my favorites. But all the destinations I just mentioned I love, you know. And and do you think there are new destinations that that we should consider, or have pretty much we've travelled the world now, all of us? There's many many new destinations. You know, Finland, Iceland. Iceland's really come on the last, like really trend destination. But Finland and it is spectacular. And actually, in my mind, it's even better going at this time of the year where you can go see the Northern Lights and stay overnight in the igloo. People love that. You know, they kind of, the story of, which it's actually one of our more popular tours now because people never dream they could stay in Nigel. And you stay there one night, you can upgrade and stay there for three nights. And you can take a cruise. You can take a cruise along the Norwegian fjords and see the, you know, fjords are spectacular. And people love doing that in the summer. But actually in the winter, even though you don't have as much daylight, going into these little, um, Norwegian villages uh, are fabulous. Do you get a, an electric blanket, Dan, in the igloos? Uh, you well, <laughs> you certainly have. You, you, you're not. <laughs> you have blankets, and you're very, very comfortable. There are little fireplaces <laughs> in them, and uh, you go on our website, and you can see them. And, and it's got it. And these igloos kind of have glass ceilings. Ah. <laughs> if the northern northern lights are out, you can see from your bedroom the northern lights. So how could and, just uh, the, and, and that's, that, yeah, people love it. Yeah. How big is an igloo? And of course, you can't guarantee it, but yeah, but it, but you see it, you see it a lot. Yeah. From our knowledge, an igloo is not a very big thing. When you say you can see it from your bedroom, suggesting there are other rooms in an igloo, how big is an igloo, Dan? Well, they're all very different size, but they're, they're very comfortable to stay in for the tour groups, you know. Um, you know, but they're, they're, they're good size. It's a good size room. Oh, God, I don't even, um, I don't, I can't, I'm not sure the uh, square meters, but you're very comfortable. It's not, you're not squeezed into it or whatever. And some people, and there's upgraded ones that are very big rooms, and you can stay in those for three nights, you know. So, you you know, and people do that, yeah. So here, we, when we're talking to our guests um, on Taste Bud Traveller with Colette, what we ask them is, you know, when you're travelling, and this is also going to be a difficult question for you, but there might be something that stands out. When you're travelling, you have moments that are just, they're, they're breathtaking, short, experiences of time that you, something just gets deep into your soul and it needn't be anything enormous. It can just m- maybe being a little, seeing a Stella Alpina, which is one of those beautiful little flannel flowers um, on the mountains in Italy and just realising you're there with the Alps and with, with the, the absolute gloriousness of those wildflowers. Is there anything for you um that's been just a moment. I have I'll just to give you a heads up. Mine was seeing um, Napoleon's hat when I was on the island of Elba. That was one of my most amazing moments. For you, Dan, with everything that you've seen and everywhere you've been, is there 
one or two small things like that that stand out in your mind? Years ago when I was setting up a tour through Patagonia by land, driving across from Calapate where Petito Marina Glacier is, and one of the only advancing glaciers in the world. And as you cross the Andy Mountains, but as, before you get to the Andes, there's uh, tons of pampas, you know, these huge estancias ranches. And you see the gauchos, you know, just on their horses, but in their garb, and you're in a place where there are no tourists. This is just how they dress to keep warm. And, and it's just that culture in it. I always I wanted to stop. And but I was in a hurry, and I wanted to stop and just talk to him, because you know you don't see that atmosphere in the world any anywhere, you know, and and to see that and going across and and I've never taken that drive across that tours. I've been on tours across again, but I've never actually when I've said up driving across it where I would have been able to just stop and talk to him, and I always remember that, and I remember. It, in Lijiang in the hills of the Himalaya in China, going to a show that most of the musicians in Lijiang and you go walk to this beautiful little, well, old wooden, I should, beautiful, but beautiful in an old historic way and see and see a concert with, um, they perform basically every night and most of the musicians are already but the locals and I'll never forget going in there and then walking back and seeing people just you know, had to be 10, 10, 30 at night and just local Chinese families and couples and sitting down the, in their porches just talking, you know. And they were speaking Chinese. I couldn't understand them, but I just wanted to walk on the steps and just talk to them or try to communicate because you can always communicate. And that's the great thing about travel. You can always communicate because people, you know, people want to talk to other people from around the world. That's just what we love. And sometimes in our politics today, we don't see that, you know, and what makes the world great are the differences in people, not the similarities, you know. Yeah, that's very true. That is absolutely the truth. So I'm not surprised to hear that gauchos particularly were one of your moments. I think gauchos are moments for a lot of us, you know. There's that lovely saying, Dan, Cowboys are my weakness. <laughs> Where can uh, our listeners go to find out more from you, about you? Certainly they can call the Colette office and certainly tell them you're with Better Homes and Gardens audience. They can go to the website and go to www.gocolette.com.au. Colette will take good care of you, you know, wherever you enjoy it. Uh, you'll lead me to Italy next year. And that's, yes. God, I must have been there 35, 40 times. It's one of the best destinations in the world. There's so much to see. It's a beautiful place. So, Dan Sullivan, CEO of Colette, we wish you a very Merry Christmas, you and your family, and thank you very much for giving us your time from way over there in Innsbruck, from inside the Christmas tree, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been great, Bob. Merry Christmas to you, Julia, and to to all your listeners, and uh, have a great holiday season. Dan, thank you very much. Thank you, Julia. Now, listeners, our next guest is going to tell us all about the wondrous Christmas markets in Germany, and they are wondrous indeed. Rupert Geiger is the Head of Marketing at the Munich Tourism Office. And Rupert, I have to say, Merry Christmas and welcome to the show. Hello. Good morning or good afternoon to Australia. Hi. Hi. Thank you very much. Now, Christmas markets in Germany, um, it's something, they are something on a lot of travellers' wish lists. Can you tell us a little bit about them and sort of paint a bit of a picture so we can see what they look like without even being there? Yeah, um, of course, there's a, a wide variety of Christmas markets in Germany nowadays. So in Munich, for example, we have traditional old Christmas markets based in the center in on Marineplatz, on the central square. And this is a very traditional one. So there you can find, of course, all the goods you 
expect for Christmas, like little figurines, little, little decorations for the Christmas tree, for example. But of course, also all the, the foods and drinks you, you might expect, like bratwurst or gingerbread and so on. And it's very, um, it's small hut, small wooden hut where the stalls are based. And at Marineplatz Square, for example, we have about Uh, 120 of those stalls, and each of them is decorated with um, with lights, with candles. Um, so it's an, a beautiful picture, especially during this time of the year. And in the background of the market, just in front of the town hall, you have the Christmas tree. This year, I think it's about 25 meters high. Wow. And of course, also decorated with lights. So the evenings are particularly beautiful as you wander the Christmas markets then, Rupert. Yeah, um, it's it, it's a beautiful picture because it's um, with the lights and and uh, the decorations. It's really quaint and nice, and uh, it's a fantastic meeting place. We, for example, we used to go there after work, you know, to have a little drink with friends and colleagues. So it's a beautiful picture. Now, I'm going to ask you about drinking at the Christmas markets because it's a real yeah. trap. So <laughs> you, yes, and you know what the trap is. You buy one of those beautiful mugs of um, of warm wine and if, yeah. you, if you pay pay an extra euro, not even sometimes that much, you get to keep the mug and the mugs are yeah. Christmas gifts and Christmas decorations in themselves. So invariably, yeah, that's true. with however that's much of true. that, yes, they're gorgeous. However much of that uh, glue vine is it that we are drinking? Yeah, yeah. The, the, I think that's the most popular drink, yeah. the glue vine. Of course, each Christmas market and each stall has a little speciality, some spices they use, which others don't. But in general, it's the glue vine, the mild wine. And it's really addictive. Really <laughs> addictive. So you walk yeah, around the markets true. and you have maybe mm -hmm. two or three mugs of blue vine or mulled wine and end up with mm -hmm. more Christmas mugs than you could ever need in your entire life. <laughs> and then you have to carry them home to Australia so your luggage weighs a ton because no one's going to give up those beautiful Christmas mugs. Um, I warn travellers about them. Don't be tempted to, to have more than 12 because they're hard to get home. I have cupboards full. Now, Rupert, back to the Christmas markets there. Does it, does it often ever snow? Um, it's, you can't count on it. I mean, uh, I think each second Christmas market, we really have lots of snow during the Christmas market time, but you never can count on it. So right now we we had a, a warm period the last few days. Yes. Um, but now we are expecting colder weather again. So we might have snow during the, the coming week, but um, we can't be sure. Snow is something in January you can really count on snow, but in December it, it's more um, and every now and then. So they and and with the snow they must look even more beautiful than they do just of themselves. Of course, yes, of course, definitely. But honestly, when you're on the Christmas market, you don't care anymore. <laughs> so now, tell me a, a, a little bit of the history behind the Christmas markets in Munich. Mm -hmm. Okay, or um, Germany, the, all through the, Germany. Yeah, of course. The in I mean. Uh, For, for Munich, I can tell you more details. The, the origin of the Christmas market go, goes back to the St. Nicholas market. Ah, yes. Because Munich is a, uh, it's a Catholic region, and originally the presents were brought by St. Nicholas, not by the Christmas child or the Christ child. Yes. And um, the first St. Nicholas markets we know about date back to the 14th century, so wow. more than 600 years. But since the early 19th century, some 1800-something, um, it was turning into a Christmas market. The date was changed a little bit because at that time, people's belief or people's presence, hate, presence, haters, um, um, 
changed a little bit. So the presents were given on Christmas Day and not on St. Nicholas Day anymore. When when we visit the the Christmas markets, is there mm-hmm. anything outstanding or different that a traveller who's not been to one before should expect um, or something that they should absolutely do? I mean, what, what I already said is there is a wide variety of markets. So what I would really recommend um, to, to try to find one market in a small village because they might be completely different than those in the cities. Yes. Um, for example, there is one in the south of Munich towards the Alps, towards the mountains, uh, Benedict Boyan, and there you have uh, Christmas market stalls in, the, in houses. So people open up their own houses and ah. sell the goods in their houses. For example, that would be so lovely. Yeah, and you have one, for example, on a small island in Lake Kimsey, around Kimsey. So this is also a completely different and beautiful atmosphere there, which can't compete with a city. It's different. And coming back to the city in in Munich alone, you have approximately thirty Christmas markets now from a. Um, ethno Christmas market to a pink Christmas market, which caters more for the uh, gay scene, for example. Ah, so, there you go. We we talk about to to our guests if they have yeah. a, a moment, just a moment that, that of something beautiful or um, outstanding that they remember, and it doesn't have to be big. Uh, yeah, just a lovely moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, what I like, for example, is always, I mean, of course, um, like always, kids are part of the Christmas celebration. Yes. And what really fascinates me, each Thursday, uh, we have a, a sing-along on the Christmas market. So people gather and sing Christmas songs. And um, I I don't sing very well, honestly. <laughs> so sometimes I join in, but I only join in when the, the chorus is loud enough so they don't hear me. <laughs> but what I like most during those events is just watching the kids because they are really like, uh, their eyes are getting wider and wider. And as you can imagine, they sing full throttle. <laughs> So um, this is a, a fantastic moment for me because they are just they forget about themselves and just are fully uh, engaged uh, with the thing in Christmas, Rupert. Yes, mm-hmm. what a beautiful moment. Um, we thank you very much for giving us all the information on the Christmas markets. You know, they just they're just the most sublimely beautiful things, and and in the snow, even more gorgeous. Um, what? Better way could you spend a few hours than walking around with one of those warm, wonderful wines, looking at so many exquisite decorations and singing your head off at some point too, Rupert? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, we need to know where we can find a little bit more about the Christmas markets in Germany. Can you tell us where our listeners can go to do that? Yeah, of course. Um uh, of course, one one chance is uh, online. If yes. you with, visit uh, the Germany Travel website, so this is definitely a good collection of uh, Christmas marks you can find in Germany. Um, and then, of course, um, most of the larger Christmas markets have their own website. If you need to know more details, but in general, you can say most of the major Christmas markets start the end of November and uh, finish on Christmas Day. So, so this is just a, a rough orientation. Thank you. And your website address, Rupert? Um, the Munich website is munich.travel. Yes. So there you, you find everything about the Munich Christmas market, munich.travel. Thank you very much. We'll put all those on our show notes for our listeners to check. And it's been absolutely okay. wonderful. Nice talking to you, Julia. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Rupert, and Merry Christmas to you. Ben, you know what? This is just such a wonderful pastime, sitting here and talking about it. Not quite as good as going, 
But however... It's up there. Uh, it is, isn't it? Mm. Enough to fill the travel soul, I mm-hmm. have to say. So um, I totally enjoy it. Thank you for all your information no too. I love nothing more than a good bit of travel natter. Me too. Mm. Yes. Mm. And you're good at it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And listeners, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe and uh, tell your friends and family all about Taste by Traveller. And we love hearing from you. So be sure to leave comments wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we look forward to taking you on another journey soon. See you later, Ben. Ciao. And listeners, bye.